We are going on tour. The Glamorous Trash Podcast and my book tour have collabed and we're coming to a city near you. Click the link in the show notes to to get all of the deets. We're coming to New York City. On June 4th, we are kicking off an event with Jon Stewart. No big deal. That's our very first show in New York City. Then we're coming to Washington, D.C., Nashville, Chicago, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Seattle, Portland, and Los Angeles. So get your tickets now. We are doing three different events because, you know, I'm always doing the most. That's just on brand, right? First, there's a glamorous trash party. It's the podcast meets the book tour meets Coachella, a live show featuring podcast segments, book segments, a very special guest. And of course, there's a runway walk at the end for people to show off their fits because the dress code to every event is obviously glamorous trash. We are also doing a cookie country club. It's the anti-country club country club. And it's very dreamy. You get like a bunch of products. There's little events. And it's a more intimate event where you meet other cookies and listen to a book chat with what me and another special guest and then the final event the behind the bangs writing workshop i finally did it put it together put together this workshop because i wrote this book in many ways for younger me and younger me would not have gotten off her couch unless there was also a workshop being taught i wanted the gyms i wanted i wanted the knowledge i wanted the education that's what i would have wanted so i've decided i'm doing it and in the workshop is going to be the six writing gyms that took me forever to learn 15 years in my 15 year career as a tv writer and author and blah 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 all the other things i've written there are six things that i always use and all of those are in this workshop so if you have an interest in writing sign up all the ticket links are live today click the show notes click my instagram we are coming to a city near you and there's going to be some meet and greets i'll sign some copies of books we'll give out more books and i have uh, some pieces of merch that i'm taking on the road and i'm gonna give them out at the shows Welcome to Celebrity Book Club, special edition, air horns, sirens. We have something very, very special happening, which is that we are doing our very first men's memoir, a male memoir. This is the first male identifying memoir and author I have ever devoted an entire episode to. And now that we've gone independent with your support, I can do things like that. And here's what I'll just say. The podcast is devoted to female memoirs, not because it's like some, you know, 90s girl power thing. It's because they're genuinely the books that most interest me. They're the stories I love, the people I want to hear from. And so I've decided in our new independent model, if there's ever a men's memoir that I genuinely want to hear about or read, I will add it as an extra episode. So it's just if I'm truly drawn to it. And I was truly drawn to the memoir of Danny Pellegrino, who hosts the podcast, Everything Iconic, which everyone always messages me about. They always say we need to know each other, listen to each other. He's a podcast host. I'm a podcast host. He wrote a memoir. I'm writing a memoir. I had to dive into this book and I really wanted to meet Danny because I love his spirit and I love his voice. So we're going to be discussing Danny Pellegrino's memoir with a very special guest, Danny Pellegrino. Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you already because I was wondering, I was like, I know you only cover female, you know, I 
And I thought maybe she recorded someone before me or something, but I am so honored and so excited. And I was telling you before, I'm a fan of of you and this show, so I'm so honored to be here and so excited. I'm I'm truly shook by that because I told our producer Kate, I was like, Do you think Danny would come on? He's probably not gonna come on, but like I, I want the honor to be yours. We we did one Valentine's Day episode where we covered Lonnie Anderson and Burt Reynolds competing divorce memoirs, but it was a Lonnie episode with a little Burt. This is the only like top to bottom men's moir. I normally start this podcast with um, how me and my guests first met. You and I have never met. So I was thinking I would tell you how I came across your podcast. Okay. All right. Okay. So I'm a huge Drop Dead Gorgeous fan to the point that uh, we, you know, we own several of those $40 DVD copies because you can't find it anywhere. My mom, who I call Team Mom Z, Whenever I would bring a boyfriend home or she meets someone new, she makes them watch the movie and then she watches their face to see if they enjoy it. And if they enjoy it, they're welcome into our family. And if they don't love the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous, they're not welcome into our family. (laughs) That's a good mom right there. Oh my God, I love that. And I was talking about how Lona Williams, the screenwriter, like wrote that movie, took her name off Sugar and Spice and like, we've never heard from her again. What happened to the movie? And- People were like, Danny Pellegrino has found Lona Williams. They have a conversation. And I was like, how did this happen? So anyways, I I like ran to that podcast and then just became such a fan of yours because you. you combine my favorite things, which is like, you know, uh, all, all the great divas, all the great pop culture, but also with positivity and like comedy and all that oh. good stuff. So then I was a fan for life. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you so much. And it was so tough tracking Lana down because she's really off the grid now. Yeah. And I know uh, Mindy Sterling, who was also in that movie, she helped me get in touch with Lana, who doesn't really do a lot of interviews at all about it, even though I think a certain generation of us, we love Drop Dead Gorgeous so much. And it's it's starting to finally, I think, pick up e- even more steam. And I'm, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people, and I think it's on HBO Max now. Uh, but I love that movie. And yeah, she, she doesn't talk about it a lot. And it was interesting to talk to her because I don't know how she, I don't think she really loves it as much as we even love it. I That was kind of the shocking part of the interview to me. And, and, I mean, the fact that you got an interview with her, you you have this quote in the book that says, um, I've never had a glass of wine that didn't end with me on Alice and Janie's IMDb page, uh, which is so funny. And I feel similarly about looking up Lona Williams. Like, I've just, like, looked her up so many times in life (laughs) to find out what happened. And, you know, she has that cameo in the movie. And so the fact that you got an interview with her, I was like, this is is the Katie Couric of our generation. Danny Pellegrino has got us. My Frost Nixon moment. Yeah. It is your it was my <laughs> I I also thought it, your interview also reminded me of how hated that movie was, and it kind of gives me like uh, hope is a weird thing to say, but like I mean it's one of the greatest movies of all time, and critics tore it apart, and so it's so interesting to reflect on. Like, do you reflect on your own art ever? And you're like, well, if they pan dropped it gorgeous, maybe I can just yeah. wait this out if you ever get a bad yeah. review. Yeah, I'm so fascinated by nostalgia in general, and I think particularly in the era we're in, we're looking back at a lot of the pop culture from the early aughts and the 90s, and we're re-examining it through another lens. And it's that is so incredibly fascinating to me, whether it be something like Drop Dead Gorgeous or how we're looking at how people like Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan were treated. And, and we're learning, and we're also seeing how some of those things haven't changed and how they have changed. And Oh, my God. Yeah, that's such a good point. And also, 
on a larger scale, just to realize like men have been telling us what art is good and what art is bad our whole lives. Like, and even to, you know, I was joking about calling a, a male book a men's more, but also because, you know, chiclet, rom-com, like all these like throwaway things that are in fact phenomenal art, but men were just shitting on them. So we learned to, I mean, I hid my love of celebrity memoirs for a long time because I wanted to be taken seriously as a comedian and as a human. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. well, obviously those aren't like real books. And it's just so funny to finally have your voice, the voices out there like of like, no, this is really good art. And they were all lying to us. Yeah, to celebrate it. I even remember when I was sort of coming up in Chicago and during that time, this was like sort of the late 2000s, early 2010-ish or around there. Uh, but there was this whole conversation of every magazine was doing these articles of like, can women be funny? And yet- <laughs> Christopher every, Hitchens just ruining all of our lives with one Vanity Fair article. Uh, it was like an exhausting conversation. And then on the same token, it was like people like uh, Bill Murray, who who's- Brilliant. I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's like he's someone who's celebrated as like a deity in the comedy community. And the people that I was always attracted to growing, it was the women that I was really into that I gravitated towards in, in the comedy community. And I've noticed now there's so much more celebration of those great female talents, whether they be people like Carol Burnett and Lucille Ball. And now we're there's more voices out in media to say, those are also our deities. You know, yes, does, yes, you know and I mean? the, yes, they have been our gods the whole time. I mean, like Mae West was out here writing the greatest jokes when movies had 10 lines of dialogue. And we're like, can women be funny? And it's like, well, Mae West started it. You know, it's, yeah, it's such yeah, a yeah. ridiculous question. And we all get caught up in this conversation that no one ever needed to have. And then, Right, it was just yeah. a stupid thing. But in terms of comedy, my my influences were always, when I was watching SNL, it was like, I was loving Molly Shannon, Sherry yes. Terry, and like that crowd was who I, sort of looked up to and 100% and not, not I, that, the men. <laughs> um, okay yes. you started dropping hints about Chicago in your book and I was like was he in Chicago and then you know little touchstones in your book I was like I swear I feel like we were there the same years and then at the back of your book you're like I studied at IO Second City all the places I was at so what years were you there because I think we were there together I feel like we might have been like ships passing in the night there because I was yeah. there I, I'm trying to think maybe like a, Oh six, oh seven ish. Yeah, we really. You probably were. We were ships like, passing in the night. Wow, that also yeah. makes me so sad, though. Like, what if we had met? I know that was. So I know. Great. Okay, so I have two questions for you. What was your Chicago experience like? Was it bad? Was it good? What was your feeling on like those classes? If you if you've ever been in that moment, it's like walking into a little fucked up Disneyland. That totally. And that whole time of life, it, it felt like a lifetime condensed into those couple of years because I moved there. And six months after I moved there, I came out of the closet. And so it was like my first time Amazing. being out in life was in Chicago. And yeah. And the first time I went on dates with boys. And like, so that was all new. And then the comedy scene, as you know, is like so intense and, and you're everyone's taking classes everywhere. And and I I was temping at an office job. And then I, a large part of that time, I did a show called Tony and Tina's Wedding. So then that you was like- You were in Tony and Tina's Wedding? I, I was, <laughs> yeah. So Who were you? 
I was Dominic, and then I <laughs> at the end I was Tony. Like the I will at say, the tail like end. that for an Italian comedian to be in Tony and Tina's wedding, <laughs> that this is just too on the nose. I love it. Right. It what a weird. I mean, it was the most bizarre thing, but it was also free food, which yeah. at the time I didn't have any money, so I was eating pasta every night, and I was young enough. Honestly, that it, it sounds like a dream. That's a fucking dream yeah. job. Free pasta yeah. every night. I, I would do yeah. it right now. Yeah, it was great. It was incredible and and crazy and weird. But I look back and I'm just, I'm obsessed with the city of Chicago. And it was tough. I got pneumonia my first six months there because I was going so much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it was still the greatest time of my life, I think. That is exactly how I feel about Chicago as well. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. I I literally had to go to the emergency room by myself because I... I had just moved there. I didn't have a lot of people there at the time and I got pneumonia. I was like coughing up blood and I still look back on that time like, what a time. It was so fun. <laughs> and I was like- <laughs> Save your, I had to go, um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I ended up having a seven and a half pound ovarian tumor right when I, I know it's, oh it's a lot to drop on a podcast, but I've talked about it many times. We'll just skip, we'll yeah. breeze over it. But yeah. I, at the time I was like in improv classes and I was like, my stomach hurts. Like maybe I'm gluten intolerant. And then had to like ride my bike to the Chicago hospital as they were like, you're not gluten intolerant, you dumbass. But um, yeah, I still look back on that. And I'm like, remember riding your bike to the hospital and then airlifting about- home to New Mexico? <laughs> oh my God. Something about when you're young at that point in your life where it's just, I don't know, things roll off you a little bit more. Okay. So wait, so this is my second question then. To move to LA is hard. It's really hard. So what was the pivotal moment? Because you got out of Chicago early and got to LA. I feel like on the scheme of Chicago is always like, you got to spend 10 years here. Yeah. Or you're a piece of shit. And you and people who get out early, I'm always like, you're so smart. Like to not live in that cult mentality because it's a lie. How did you move out? You know, I knew I had always eventually wanted to make it to Los Angeles. There was also something to me at the time wanting to move to a new city because when I had gotten to Chicago, I was in the closet. And then, like I said, I came out. And so I think I the whole time I was there, although I was comfortable with my sexuality after coming out and all that stuff, there was some part of me that wanted to be in a new city where it was fresh and I was now fully myself as I was growing in a new place. And so that, that I think was another push too of like, I get to, I get to go to Los Angeles and just be out when I get there. And the people that I meet, I don't have to come out to because I just will be that. Oh, I, that's really beautiful. And it actually, I wrote this thing down. So you, you talk a lot in the book about coming out, dealing with sexuality. I I just loved every chapter about it. I feel like it's going to be so momentous for so many people to read your story. And your actual moment you said of coming out was in 2009. And it kind of hit me of like, that's 13 years. And sometimes when I have like a painful issue and I'm behaving a mess about it, I'll count like how long I've been dealing with it. So like, I, I kept my birth story a secret for like a long time. I've really only been out about it like probably less than two years. And so when it's still like crazy for me, I'll think to myself, like, I'm a toddler. That part of me that is living this is is two years old and I have no experience. And then I'm a lot nicer to myself. So I was just thinking about like, you've had these like 13 years. Yeah, I always, I get the tinge of jealousy when I look at young people now because it's just a different world in terms of coming out with their sexuality. And Absolutely. Also, I also come from a lot of small towns and like, definitely the years we were growing up, like being 
like gay is what you, like people would call my mom a lesbian because she was a single mom. And like, that was worse than being called like a slut or a whore. It was just like mm-hmm. the 90s insult. That was to the be insult. Like, you're gay. Yeah. So to come out, you had to take on a, a, an insult, your school's most popular insult, which is a yeah. lot. I hated when I was in, in school and people would use that word gay because even though I wasn't out, I remember it just, it always hit would hit me hard because yeah. I think deep down I knew that. And do you remember those commercials with Hillary Duff where it's like, you don't say gay and she walks up to someone in a dressing room. They came out like in the and early 2000s. These. She like overhears two girls using the word gay as an insult. And she's like, you know, gay's not an insult. Like there was a whole campaign to oh, like amazing. get rid of that world. she did that. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I think, a couple other ones, but the Hillary Duff one is the, always the one that sticks out in my head. But there had to be a whole PSA campaign <laughs> because that word was just like an, thrown around as an insult uh, amongst so many people. But, uh, you know, when I did finally move to Los Angeles, I remember really wanting to focus on on finding myself and, and relationships and what I liked in terms of relationships and, and a partner and all of that kind of stuff. I also, again, I just want to point out like to do your dating journey in Los Angeles is like one of the hardest cities to do it in. And I'll get to it later, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to get to your engagement story later. It was, it was one of my favorite okay. stories. Okay. But first, okay. I want to talk to you about Renee Zellweger's speech. Um, <sighs> Please. Oh my God, Chelsea, buckle up. We got a lot to talk about. When I sat in your book, I squealed. I'm just going to read a little little piece from your book. Renee's acceptance speech included references to iconic figures like Venus and Serena, Selena, Bob Dylan, Martin Scorsese, and Fred Rogers, among others. It was a little rambling, but it was also beautiful because everyone at home watching the awards with new groups of friends could latch on to one of the legends she had mentioned. She surely sparked lots of conversation that evening because pop culture is the great unifier. We all have different reference points, but if you can find common ground, relationships can soar. Okay, obviously love this. Pop culture is the great Unifier. I used to say it was weed. So I, but I like pop culture. You know, like if you smoked weed, weed, you had friends. Um, But pop culture, like with the right quote, like you have a quote in here from First Wives Club, and I was like, I'm in love with you. I was like, I'm in love with you forever because you quoted that movie. So okay, best movie. Back to Renee's speech. (laughs) Okay, we'll play it a little bit now on the podcast. Thank you. Wow, I really am up here. Well, hi, everybody. It's nice to see you. Y'all look pretty good 17 years later. Um, Thank you to the HFPA for inviting me back to the family reunion, Um, especially with all these extraordinary ladies this year. I mean it. Your work moves me. It moves me. And I've been cheering for y'all from theater seats for a long time. Being on a list with you is cool. Do you remember her coming out and being like, hello, thanks for having me back? <laughs> is, is, is that the same speech you're referencing? You remember when she like wins an award and she gets up and she's like, nice to see you. I'm back. Hmm? <laughs> All of Renee's wins sort of run together in my head from that period of the Judy period. I mean, that was really influential to me. The whole Judy press campaign, like I loved it so much. But the Oscar win... All I remember from it was when she was naming off people because it was absurd. I mean, like, she named off every fucking person on the planet that's ever been in a magazine or whatever. And it was like, there was not really like a connection other than these were people in pop culture. And I I loved it. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I I remember the first part of that speech. It was like she had 
maybe some plastic surgery. And there was like a break for Renee when she wasn't, I mean, she was our girl. She was in every movie. And then there's a break where like you don't hear or see from Renee Zellweger. And then all of a sudden she's back with a vengeance. And I just love that she... She was so mad in that speech in a great way. Like she was, she was like, she was speaking to millions of people, but her speech was probably for like three executives where she's like, ha, back on top, huh? And you're like, are you talking to me? <laughs> she's like, didn't want me here, but I'm back now, aren't I? Mm-hmm, and here uh, to stay. <laughs> Chelsea, she's like my favorite in terms of celebrity because I think we don't get a lot of her anymore, a, a lot of types like her anymore where they're, Like you said, they disappear for a while and then you get them and it's like they're disconnected from actual real life. Like they, they're just like, just they're living in a different world. Yes, yes. And now with social media where it's like someone like Reese Witherspoon, we have so much access to her now, even if it's very curated access, we kind of keep tabs on her daily. But someone like Renee Zellweger, she just disappears and then she comes back maybe more strange than ever in the best of ways and- just pops up and gives us a great performance and a speech. And it's just like, I love that because that's what I want from a a celebrity. I want them to be sort of untouchable, a little bit crazy, and then also to do like really good work. That is, yes, that is the perfect trifecta. I totally didn't expect that to be her personality. And I feel like we're getting the real Renee now because before when press was so curated, but I even just, I think I just read this or re-remember this online, but Bridget Jones' diary, she's talking about how she's a huge like fat beast because she's 123 pounds. It's very painful to be like, oh, did we all watch a movie where 123 pounds was the key plot point in this woman's life? I remember the press for the third one was like, it was like her making a big stink because she didn't put on the weight because it wasn't healthy and everything like that. But yeah, it's when you look back, it's like, well, how much weight was it? Like 10 pounds? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Oh, it was just crazy. Oh, so painful. All, the other movie that I feel like I must have talked about before that did that is um, it, Julia Roberts is 28 in My Best Friend's Wedding. And she's like, if we're not married by 28, uh, we'll kill ourselves or we'll get married, I guess. Right. Life <laughs> and, is over. Yeah, life is over. And Cameron Diaz is a college student who drops out of college to marry this old man. <laughs> I was like, right. I know. How did, Chelsea, anyway. you're speaking my language. Literally just watched My Best Friend's Wedding the other night, too. It's such you know, a, I get that, in my rom-com phase right before the... Valentine's. My Best Friend's Wedding, even though that's crazy, holds up. That movie holds, like, that's a great rewatch. Okay. So something else in your book that obviously I loved for this podcast is that you talked about Jessica Simpson's memoir um, and rereading it. So I have to ask, what is your favorite part of Jessica Simpson's memoir? And did her memoir inspire you a little bit to write yours? Yeah, well, first I have to talk about you for a minute because I remember when Jessica and Mariah's memoirs, they came out sort of near each other. Yeah. And that was when everybody was sending me you. It was like, oh my God, because I loved those two books so much. And people were sending me your podcasts at the time, like when you did the I mean, yeah, you those did were a Jessica our, like, and a Mariah first two episode. episodes. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, you got to listen to this podcast. So that was when I discovered you. So I'm thankful for Jessica for giving me that. But oh also, I just thought her memoir was incredible. I was shocked at how she went there with uh, everyone and everything. And and I mentioned this before, but like, I, it's shocking to me that the publisher let a lot of that stuff go about like John Mayer and Nick Lachey, because oftentimes even, I, I was a ghostwriter before uh, working on this book and they cut a lot of stuff, you know, publishers cut shit because right. they don't want legal trouble sued. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And also the celebrities often don't want to 
you know, they want like a shocking moment or two, but they don't want too much. And so I love that Jessica just was like, no, I'm going to talk about it all. This is all going to go in there. And I loved it. I love the nostalgia of it. I love the reframing of Jessica Simpson throughout it. I think it also harkened back to like what we love about Jessica in terms of so many of us fell in love with newlyweds and, and just falling in love with her personality. And also going back, this is an aside, but we just talked about the Renee Zellweger thing. It's like, you look back at, remember when Jessica had the mom jeans moment? That's and all I think you, about. Yes. Uh, yeah, he, like, she's so thin. She's photos, the tiniest, she thinnest woman phenomenal. in the world. Yeah. Like she looked, I mean, she looked it's good a crime. anyway, but it's like every magazine was saying such crazy things. And if anyone, I implore all of you to go look at those photos. You'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. I, it's so funny. I, I think about it all the time in that, like the, the entire world, and especially like us in those years, we're told, if you look like this, you don't deserve love, you're ugly, you're bad, you're, no one will respect you. And we all internalize that, you know? And I that's, that's probably one of my favorite parts of her book is undoing the memories that I didn't even know I had about what makes like a worthwhile body and worthwhile human because that was a, I mean, that lasted for a year. And after that, yeah. like, they wouldn't respect her around Tony Romo. They wouldn't, like, it was like, if by not adhering to their standard of thinness, you no longer had worth as a person, which I definitely then kept in my head. And because she didn't look like the Daisy Dukes, which she had to work out, like, insane amounts of, you know, to, to oh, have, yeah. to be that. And then it's like, oh, well, you don't look like that anymore, so you're punished. It's so fucked up, and... And yeah, I think all of us as a culture internalized a lot of that. And it's, we're still, still all dealing with it. That if for people who came of age at that time, like we're all fucked up with body image and, and all of that stuff. That's one of the parts that I love about your book too, because you talk about body image, dealing with weight as a child, how that affects you now. And I, and not enough men talk about it. And so anytime someone does, I think it's like so powerful. And I, I loved that stuff in your book too, because yeah, I, I had intense oh, struggles you. as well. And it kind of never leaves you. So well, it, hopefully it leaves you. <laughs> hopefully there are people listening and they're like, it left me, but I still struggle. So I was curious, like, what do you do to like protect your brain and your heart from falling back into maybe things that were really bad for us that us weekly installed? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think I'm really good at that. I think I still just I'm, struggle with it a lot. It's like, I, yeah. you know, even with my, um, with my podcast and doing interviews and stuff, it's like there are days when I look at myself on the Zoom and I'm like, oh my God, I look so, and I think to myself or my inner dialogue will say, oh, I look so fat or my face. Or a couple of years ago, in 2020, I had some health issues and it, it caused my weight to fluctuate quite a bit. And yeah, it was so, um, such a mind fuck because I would look at myself and it was the time when we were just starting to get on Zoom. And, and some days I would even look, my face would be super puffy and it was due to medications I was on and, and uh, uh, health stuff I had going on. And so I, I didn't even, I couldn't even give myself the grace to say, no, this is okay. Like you're allowed to fluctuate because you're going through this other thing that's more important than that. But it, yeah. it's still just kind of, I don't know, uh, also sticks like, with you or fucks with you. On top of all the horrible things the pandemic gave us. It was also, yeah, when you were stuck in your house, and unless you 
there were a couple of people who were like, now I'll use the time to work out. But the majority of people, myself included, were like, now I will fall into the abyss. And that was yeah. also the time you had to stare at yourself every day. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's still going on. <laughs> I remember trying to do, do you remember Darren's dance grooves? Like, do you know what that is? No, no. It was like this, uh, this guy who choreographed, I don't know if he was the choreographer, but he does dance videos to teach people like the bye 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 dance, the Britney Spears crazy oh, video. So he came out with these tapes way back then. They came out probably in 99 or something to teach people those dances. Well, I found it on YouTube. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I started that. I was like, oh, I'm going to make that my workout. But I was living in this tiny little apartment. So there wasn't even any room. So I gave up after like four days. And But I was like, I'm going to memorize the bye 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 dance. And I oh. think I even posted about it on my Instagram account. And then people were like, did you learn it yet? And I'm like, no, I gave up. Like I <laughs> I am, okay. So, I mean, I haven't moved in two years, but this, what you just said, I think I'm going to put my four days in now because I definitely, that sounds way more fun than working out, learning the bye-bye-bye dance. Like abs- that's a squat. There's a good squat in that dance. If you, Chelsea, have a little bit of space, go to YouTube and do it. It's like, it was really fun, but I would encourage, I think on YouTube, there's three different dances he has. It's called Darren's Dance Grooves. And I think I heard the crazy one is the one to start with, the Britney okay. crazy one. Okay. Because it's, okay. It's like a little easier. I okay. could be wrong, but I'm I'll pretty sure that. that's the one. I'll start with that. The The only thing I've done is I got a mini trampoline per my therapist to like physically shake your body out to like get your nervous system to calm the fuck down because, you know, there's only so many meds you can be on. <laughs> and, um, and like, that's my, like, I don't even want to say I jump on the trampoline. I just sort of like sadly wobble and <laughs> cry sometimes. <Yeah. laughs> that's my workout. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I saved my crying for the shower, but I have been oh, trying that's good. to. I've been trying to, I walk a lot now and I just, I just try to get out and walk a bunch. Just, oh, I love that. Just walk. And LA's perfect for that. Sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life. And I can't believe it, but I got to write my own. And it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. 
Some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book. It matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. So I, um, just to get personal on a podcast when we met for the first time, um, I, I just Please. left a job in New York and all the, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was just like leaving all that momentum and structure or if it was sort of like making it to the final day of exams and then you collapse. I don't know what happened, but I just got back to LA and like depression hit me so hard. And circumstantially, like there's nothing to be depressed about right now. You know what I mean? It's just like, everything's good. And so I was reading your book and I got to that part where you're like, depression can just comes. It just, you know, it just shows up and it's there. And Weirdly, there's something that makes you feel better about reading about someone else feeling depressed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because oh, you're yeah. just sort of like, yeah, it just happens. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And I loved the way you talked about depression in the book. Was Thank that you. hard for you to do? Or did you always know that was going to be in the book? You know, that that stuff wasn't too bad. I had I talked about it on my show and I felt, I, I learned the same thing, like you said, when I had talked about it on my podcast a little bit or I would mention it, I would get messages from people saying, oh, what you described I went through or I had a similar kind of experience. And then they were telling me they felt better and that was making me feel better. Yeah. And so I was, almost made me excited to share that part. What I didn't expect was like going deeper into it and kind of analyzing that brought up some emotions, but, but I was really just excited to share it. And even as we're talking, people haven't gotten the book. It's not out yet, but I'm excited for people to read it. And hopefully they might say I had a similar experience or, or went through a similar thing. And I, I want that. I think it's really helpful to know that you're not alone. I, I, I completely agree. And, and while you did say like therapy, talking, all that's great, Jamie Lynn Spears says a husband's love actually cured her. So if you've ever want to try that, she said in a way that meds and therapy couldn't. So just if you ever want to try a husband's good love, that's all. I haven't option. listened to your Jamie Lynn episode yet. I'm scared. I'm you scared too, but I will. I'm you, know, you know, you gotta be in the right, you gotta be in the right place. Um, okay. Now I gotta ask you some housewives questions. So please. Which, by the way, Chelsea, we have to cover one day like a, a housewives memoir on here together. I like, honestly, I was like waiting to ask you to come on because I like didn't want to pressure you <laughs> on air, but you heard it here. Danny's coming on. Any any housewife memoir you want, I I want you on immediately because they're, they're insane. They're, they're insane. insane. Okay, so in the book, you hashtag justice for Denise. Now, Denise, our girl, also in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, I. I have to know your take. Why justice for Denise? I think largely because of Drop Dead Gorgeous. I have a mm. an affection for our dear Denise Richards. And I came of age at the time of Denise Richards with Drop Dead Gorgeous, with Wild Things and James Bond and all that stuff. I even remember going to the opening weekend of, of the movie Valentine, a horror movie that she did that is terrible. But I you know, loved Denise since that age. So I will always have a strong place in my heart for Denise Richards. And I don't love how that was handled on the show with the other women. And 
Denise is certainly not completely innocent and all, and and you know on some level what you signed up for, but it seemed like the rest of the cast was like a dog with a bone with the sexuality storyline. Oh, yeah, especially Lisa Renna. Yeah, I just didn't like the way it, it made me feel gross how it was handled with Denise. And it was like, I felt like she kept saying, stop this, and no one would stop it. And I tend to look at Housewives from behind the scenes angle too, and it's like, I could almost see the other women especially on Beverly Hills, they do this where they focus on one storyline because they know then once they have the one storyline, then they don't have to go deeper and into their own personal storyline. So they all purposefully will will hold on to that one thing, whatever, whether it's Erica's uh, panties one season, it was like, or <laughs> yes. that dog season or, or the Denise season. It's like they do that so that they don't have to have any drama within them. They could just attack this one person. Yeah, and then she's just fully out. I mean, she just left so fast. It really felt like she wanted to protect her marriage and, like, her corner of happiness, um, which, like, having gone through Charlie Sheen, <laughs> you have certainly earned, you know, and, and yeah. She's not innocent. She's, no, no. You know, and the husband is uh, crazy to me. Like, the, what's his name? Aaron. He's not. I mean, we could talk about that for hours, but. <laughs> <laughs> The, I, it really cracks me up when the husbands, like, love being on the show. Like, Seth on Salt Lake City, like, wow, he's having the time of his life. And it's like, you know the show's, like, not about you. Same with Denise's husband. He was like, let's get involved. Let's start some drama. And you're like, whoa. Right. right. I used to call him Big Dick Aaron because it was like, every time Denise was on, she would either talk about that or uh, not want to talk about anything. I do want her back, though. I want her, yeah. I want her to just pop in. I don't think she should be full-time. I don't think it's for her. But I would like a scene or two. I'm always a big proponent of like these women coming back for a scene and then getting back out. Like, just let me catch Checking up with in, them live your for life. an episode or two. And then you can go about your merry way. I love that. Okay, do you love Salt Lake City? I love it. Oh my God, I think it's amazing. It's We're two seasons in, but I don't know how where they go from here because I feel like almost they've peaked. And it's so insane and so crazy. And I, I totally get the criticism that it's, too much because sometimes I'm watching these recent episodes and there's so many, so much fighting. You can't even tell who likes who or what they're fighting about. So I get that, but I love the chaotic nature of that show. And I, I, it's to me, everything. I love I, I love Salt Lake City. I, I mean, I grew up in Utah for like six years. Wait, so can I ask you something? Yeah. You grew up there. When they announced that, did you think, oh, that's good. Like that, that's a perfect place. Or cause I think most of us, I, I just wasn't familiar with it. And I was like, what are they going to do there? Like what's. I know I, I had two thoughts. My, my first thought was how are they going to do that? Because no good Mormon would ever, ever go on that show. Like it just, it, you, you can't even wear one of the dresses in the opening. If you're a good Mormon, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> no way. Um, but then I thought if they, if they get, they call them like Jack Mormons. So people who are like more, you know, Mormon is like a hobby is like a maybe, um, then you'll find the craziest people you've ever known. And the drama is so high in Utah because there are so many, you know, it's like when you're like not allowed, like you're not allowed to drink coffee. You're not allowed to have alcohol. And then you have it. Like, I just learned nuts. this about the coffee thing. I didn't, yeah, yeah. Realize, Caffeine. I didn't know about the coffee. Caffeine yeah. is, is the devil's work. <laughs> The devil wants you to be awake for your morning meetings, I guess, but good for you. I love Um, love these women. I I love love them them. so much too. And I love their friendships. Okay. Now I want to skip back to your book. So I want to read a little thing from a page. 
I feel like a little pitter patter every time you say you're reading something from the page. I'm like, nervous. And was it weird to have it read back to you? Oh my God, it's stressing me out. I'm nervous. (laughs) Let's do a little bit. Well, you know, um, Elvira, Cassandra Peterson, she would write pages and then her wife would read it out loud in bed at night so she could like hear how the book sounded. Uh And I was like, that is so romantic. I went to my fiance, yes. I was like, will you read everything I ever write out loud to me? (laughs) Fall asleep. And he was like, no. Um, uh, yeah. My boyfriend wasn't allowed to read any of the book. He just read it what? like recently. Wait, but you published it and then were like, surprise, read it. Yeah, basically. Was that yeah, not he didn't. I think uh, it was all very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I'll just read a little piece. You said, um, uh, I was. I was also 20 fucking eight, which I read is a historically difficult year to go through. Regardless of this, Lemony Snicket, series of unfortunate events, I suddenly found myself struggling in a way I wasn't prepared or equipped for. So this is part of that depression chapter I love. I have a very niche question I want to ask you, which is, do you did you read that 28 was hard because it was your Saturn return? And did that influence you at all? Yes. I mean, I've, yeah, that was what I had read an article that was about that, but I, I've, I feel like I've heard other things and people talk about 28 as just sort of this weird touchstone year and, and transitional time. I think you're, I got, I had, a, I struggled at 28. It was like, that was a tough year for me. And I've had other tough years too, but 28 specifically, it's just like, I, I've heard and read about that being a tough time. Yeah, I think it keeps me anchored and believing astrology because 28 was also very difficult for me and 29. And yeah. they say those are the years that, I don't know, Saturn returns to kind of like fuck your shit up to make you into the person you're supposed to be, which often means losing a lot of things that are currently in your life that you don't want to lose. And then Saturn is like, you got to go. So mm. if that's true, what do you think you lost that year that was actually good for you? I think I finally removed uh, sort of caring about sharing myself. And when I went through that tough depression time, I started talking about it really quickly after I kind of dug myself out of it. I was like, I'm not holding anything fucking in. I'm going to say, I'll say whatever I am feeling or thinking and my experience. So I just sort of lost the ability to give a shit about that. And I still, of course, want to be respectful of people and I don't want to upset anyone and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of my own experience, I'll share it with whoever I want. And and it also kind of, in a weird way, ties to pop culture because it started to be like, okay, I'm going to celebrate the things that I love and not feel bad about any of it. Like now I almost, I saw the deepest, most depressed, most horrific parts of myself during that depression. So now I'm going to just celebrate all parts of me. I know all of me. The type of comedy around like maybe, I don't know, 2008-ish, it was that like mean comedy of like, and Chelsea Handler does it really well. So this is maybe not the best example, but it's like Chelsea Handler's talk show where it was just like making fun of everything that was in pop culture. It was so nasty, particularly around... 08, my touchstone was always the Rosie O'Donnell show, her talk show from the 90s. And what I loved about that was her celebrating the things that she loved. And it looks like we're in a different era now where things are a little bit more gentle. And I think you could be funny while also celebrating and and still have a little snark and sarcasm and stuff. But that time of, uh, that era, like you said, of when we came up in comedy or whatever, it was just so nasty. And and some of it was really funny and talented and all that. But I mean- 
Kind of. It's yes, I totally agree with you. And um, I'm actually we're doing a Kathy Griffin episode and I luckily my guest loves her, but I kind of struggle with Kathy Griffin because her it it was what everyone was doing. But her, her jokes could be like, well, like who's anorexic today? And like, that's, you know, not classically a joke. That's just sort of like a sad thought. <laughs> and we accepted it as comedy. Yeah. And that, I do think we accepted just uh, being shitty as that made you a comedian. And I'm just glad that the bar is higher. That like, if you want to be shitty now, you still have to like tell a joke. And yeah. I think that's good growth. Yeah. Okay. My favorite chapter in the whole book is... Does the ring mean a thing? I just loved it. And before we get into the meat of it, I have to say one thing. Um, You broke up with your boyfriend once after seeing the movie Blue Valentine. You wrote simply because the movie was so intense and made me feel like true love was impossible. Or maybe it was because I thought I would eventually run off with Ryan Gosling. We're not sure. I had a first date at the movie Blue Valentine. (laughs) A first a date? Chelsea, what? <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, it's it's the most toxic relationship I've ever had. And I don't know if the movie did it to us. Or, I mean, that movie is, no one can survive that movie. And I, no. I love that you guys broke up after it because it is, I mean, that movie runs you over with a car. I think it was like the biggest fight we ever had. And it literally was happening <laughs> yes. as we were leaving the theater. Like I remember just like arguing on the, while still in the, the actual theater, we yeah, was like got- arguing on the <laughs> yeah. walk out of it into the lobby and I don't know what the fuck I was thinking to go see Blue Valentine. I don't even think anyone should see it. Like, well, I, I don't no, care how good they were are. Like, he was like playing <laughs> ukulele and she was like doing a jig. Right. I mean, like, we, it was like, you know, it was like an artsy, cute movie to see. Like, I. They bamboozled uh, us. Oh, they bamboozled, they bamboozled us. They bamboozled so bad. us. Yeah, we thought we were going into rom com or something, I think. If you watch a movie and you walk out and wreck your own life from it, like, <laughs> Not, right. That's not movie goals, you know? Just make me feel good. I want more First Wives Clubs. Like, I need, I think every movie should have a musical number. Like, just I, the way I'm that, totally that movie, this. or Romy and Michelle has the big dance number, or, you know, like, a Stepmom has the big, even Stepmom, which is a dark, heavy movie, they have the big Ain't No Mountain High Enough scene. It's like, give me a musical number. Like, you're if you're so going right. to for, force me to sit through a mother dying and a new mother coming in to take over for the family matriarchy, then at least give me a lip sync to a Motown song. <laughs> okay, okay. So, okay, then we get to the, the beautiful part of the story, which is that you proposed. And this story... Since I loved every fucking Aww. second of this story. And and the way you wrote about getting engaged and the moment that you actually got engaged versus like all the sort of procedural wedding stuff we're told to do that makes you engaged was so beautiful. I, I literally squealed when you, you were like, and that was the moment we were engaged. I was like, ah! Um, cause also you're calling him your boyfriend in the book. And so I was like, is he, oh my God, what's going to happen in the story? Now I realize you probably hate the word fiance. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. he's, I still call him boyfriend. And so like we've yeah. been together 12 years. We got engaged. We, we don't have any immediate plans to get married. I'm sure we will go to a courthouse or something, but yeah. And I didn't want to say his name in it. But yeah, so I just, he's boyfriend in the book. I, I loved it. I, I got engaged a year and a half ago. And so obviously it's on my brain, but yeah, it just really hit me. Like the moment you got engaged wasn't the ring and on the knee moment. It was like this special thing between you guys beforehand. And I think, it, yeah, anyone in a relationship towards the engagement level should should read this because it was, it was just really beautiful. It, it made There's me rethink just- my engagement too. 
Oh, thank you. There's so much pressure with the wedding industry as a whole, whether that be the engagement, the wedding, all of that stuff. And I really, especially writing in the the book, I examined that whole thing. And after we had that engagement, even afterwards, everybody's like, so when's the wedding? When's the ma- when are you getting married and everything? And for the first year or so, we kind of played that game of like, oh, we're going to, I think we're going to do this or whatever. And it's like, we're good. <laughs> we're yeah, good how yeah. everything is. <laughs> but it's almost hard to convince yourself of that when when every outside person is telling you, oh, you have to go do this big wedding thing. Absolutely. People are, oh, you've been engaged for a year, two years, three years, and you haven't gotten married. And you get that like judgment. And it's like, yeah, we're fine. We're together yeah. longer than you've been in a relationship. You know, like so, yeah, certain yeah, yeah. friends who would judge. I'm like, where is your person that you were all up on your high horse about? That, you know, when you first started dating this person, you were on your high horse of like, well, we just got engaged. And it's like, well, now you're divorced. And so, which is fine, but don't judge don't throw it on others. other relationships and, and try to force them to do your timeline. I, um, I think the same thing happens too with like what emotions you're supposed to feel. So like when certain things happen, like when you get down on one knee, like there's supposed to be tears. There's supposed to be a certain feeling. There's supposed to be certain things that then you have to measure yourself against. Like for women, it's the dress. And cause you know, I'm planning a wedding and like the first time we went in, they were like, does this dress make you want to cry? And I was like, no fucking dress will ever make me cry. Like, you're out of your <laughs> <Yeah>. fucking mind. <laughs> if, it, yeah. if I'm looking in the mirror and think I look so hot, I'm crying, like, we have another issue. And so, like, that's just not going to happen for me. But I know other people who've struggled with it is like, oh, does that mean I'm not excited to get married? Does that mean I haven't found the right dress because I'm not sobbing in a piece of clothing? And I, I think that's kind of on, like, every item mm-hmm. of wedding stuff. And same with our proposal. Like I was just, I was just so happy he proposed. But in in your story, you were talking about the moment you actually got engaged, and I remember kind of like having an idea, uh, like this could be the day, and and because of that, I put on a certain pair of shoes that he had got me, and I saw him notice that, and he, and he has a matching pair, and he put on that pair too, and Aww. that's sort of when I was like, oh my god, this is the fucking day. Um, that was but like, your yeah. That was our moment. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, that that kind of stuff to me is like so I don't know deeper than you know even that even though the actual moment is nice. I I just loved your story so much. Yeah. Where your moment and was like ultimately it's supposed to be you between you and that other person and not amongst a million other people. Yeah, you had this incredible wedding story in the book where like you're asked to be a part of a wedding and then the bachelorette party gets canceled because of the pandemic and someone is like, we should buy her a Peloton because she had to reschedule it, not cancel it. She had to reschedule it. She must be said we should buy her a Peloton and you're like, you're out of your right. fucking mind. We all just lost our jobs. And- yeah, like someone from the wedding party literally asked me to uh, buy a Peloton as an inconvenience, like gift, not a, in place of like the wedding. I still, I was the man of honor for this situation. So I was still, I, I had bought all this dick merch for the bachelorette party <laughs> that we were supposed to do that I couldn't return. So it was like, I was already out of all this money and I still had to buy a wedding gift. I still had to buy the engagement gift. And now you're asking me to buy a fucking Peloton in as an inconvenience gift. Like I was. I, I was People are so crazy. happy this was in the book. <laughs> I think- I'm like, the, this is the one of the most nervous I am for people to read because I, I, I don't want my friend to get mad at me because I wrote this story in the book, but also I had to include it because people get insane around weddings. I, I also think that this is needed. 
this is needed. And like, I know you love being a positive person, which is like something I like love about you, but like you do put all that good into the world. Like we can't just love everything. And when someone thinks we should buy a Peloton in the middle of the worst human crisis in uh, <laughs> years, we it's okay to be like, that was really fucked up. <laughs> right. That's there was just way too much going on. I was like, no, ma'am. No, <laughs> no, no. Like when I, w- when we started planning this wedding, a friend told, I'm going to get this wrong, but she was like, statistically, you are going to lose someone from your life by doing this wedding. Like statistically, there'll be someone in your wedding who you never speak to again. And I'm just sort of like walking through this year, looking around being like Hunger Games. Like, who is it? Yeah. Like, who's leaving <laughs> my so life funny. this year? Because I guess we're having a wedding. Um, uh. Okay, I want weddings I, bring out the worst in people. They really do, even though they're such a be- they're so beautiful. Yeah, um, they are. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read another. Take take a breath. I'm gonna read another piece of your book to you. Okay. Um, so you have this journal entry that you included, which I loved. I was crying. Um, okay, I'm gonna read a piece. It's from the past. I feel like I'm going through life with protective eye gear on, and the more time that goes by, the dirtier they get. I'm losing sight of the life I want, but I'm not prepared to take off the glasses. Is seeing the world without the protection of my own hopes and dreams worse than fighting through the fog? First off, how dare you be so eloquent in a journal? My journal's like, day bad, me, me sad. Like, <laughs> this is poetry. And There's plenty of those entries of my journals, too. This, this is so beautiful and obviously such a, like, you're going to be a writer one day. So how does it feel? It's incredible. I mean, that little piece that you read... I mean, I got chills even just reading it because that was from a journal from my time in Chicago. And just, I remember sitting in Piper's Alley at the Starbucks there, like writing in my journal and, and never, and the dream was that I could write a book one day. And that, I like, that was, felt so far away. It's really momentous. It's momentous to read it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank and you. How- I, yeah, I feel lucky that I get to tell these silly, stupid, sometimes dramatic stories and in a book. And it's always been a dream of mine. And and now to be able to do it and include that journal from that time, it's all kind of weird. And That's great. so cool. That's so cool. Okay. So I usually close every podcast with a thank you. And um, I just want to, I, I want to thank you for the whole book and for your whole spirit and presence, but I want to read something very specifically. Okay. Last time I'll be reading to you, Danny. It's okay. Here, here we go. <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell, Katie Couric, Andy Cohen, Kathy Lee Gifford, Marie Osmond, Bonnie Hunt. I've been fortunate enough to interview all of these talk show legends, and the one constant I've noticed in each of them is a warm spirit. They know how to make you feel like a friend, and I hope that when people listen to my show or read this book, they can think of me as one and know that I think of you as all of mine. I think of you all as mine. Our worlds can be so lonely, but television, film, podcasts, and books are so important because they make us feel connected to the people around us, especially at times when we might be isolated. So I just loved that. Thank you. I mean, no wonder your show is so incredible. You've been like studying like the Bonnie Hunts and Rosie O'Donnell. I love her. I know, Bonnie Hunt. When you said that, I was like, I forgot she had a show. Um, She was the best. She is the best. The best. Legend. You know, I had, I vacationed with her once, sort of, it was like a, the best weekend what? of my life, but it was like, Daddy! <laughs> oh, no, I didn't write about this in the book, but yeah. I, I was going to say, I, oh my I had gosh. gone out with some friends. My, we were staying at a friend's family's house and it, we got there and one of the other people from our group 
came up to me after we landed on the plane and was like, hey, I want to let you know before we get to the house, like, I didn't want you to freak out, but like Bonnie Hunt's staying there for the weekend because she was friends with the parents. And so, of course, being from Chicago, my friend knew that I would freak out. And so she was there and she was like everything. I got to like get to know her a little bit and she was just the best human being ever. That is so cool. Also, I would be like, how dare you? I could have packed so many captains to show off like all my outfits, but okay, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, she is just, she's the best. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You're the best. I love your book. Tell people, I mean, everyone knows where you can buy books, but where can, where can people get your book? Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a delight. And yeah, everyone could get How Do I Unremember This wherever they get their books. But I think it's a great if you could support your local bookstore. So you can check out IndieBound.org if you want to be connected with your local bookstore. You can go to Books A Million. Or of, co- of course, it's also all those other places like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and, and or Target and Walmart.com are also have the book. So check it out anywhere. There's also an audio book. I love the physical copy of the book. I love like holding it and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Oh, I love There's that you did an audio book. Okay. And listen, anyone who listens to the show already follows you. But if there's one person oh. out there who doesn't follow you, what are your handles? Oh, at Danny Pellegrino. And go get the book. Like, got, we got to buy the book. I want to do another book. So we got to, you got to buy this one. It's yeah. a lot to ask. I know people got a lot to read, but put it, put it on your coffee table. No, let this it, is a really, um, uh, <laughs> like, listen, I have, what, what did I do? Like Jamie Lynn Spears book was uh, like 170 pages and it was, it felt like swimming <laughs> through mud. And this book is just such a, a joy. It is not a heavy, it's not going to bang you over the head. Like it's a, it's a great read. So yes, get the book, buy the book, support books. Oh, this is, uh, this was just such a dream. Thank you. So, Thank I you. Love this that. was such a delight. Thank you so much. And um, I can't wait for you to come back and cover a housewife book. Um, Thank right, you guys bye. so much. Thank you so much for listening to our very first Men's Moir episode. If you want to support the podcast, sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash Chelsea Devantes. It's also linked in our show notes. For $5 a month, you get all the bonus episodes. And other tiers of the Patreon have bonus perks like getting added to my close friends list on Instagram, getting sent copies of my books with my insane notes sometimes. And there's also a private book club that you can join uh, with all the other cookies. So either way, whether you want to support or not, two episodes a month will keep dropping in your feed just like normal, plus these little fun extras. And of course, you can always follow me on Instagram at Chelsea Devantes, where I will continue to post recaps, wedding stuff, and needy quarantine dog. We have so many great books headed your way with this new independent launch. Um, And I'll see you guys next week for one of them. (laughs) 